There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. How about running into you here? Welcome back, my friend, to the Stream Police Podcast. I am Clint Davis, your host of this, well, usually about an hour, maybe 90-minute odyssey into movies, TV, music, everything streaming out there for you. And uh, we'll be joined in a little bit by my co-host, Andy Sedlak, who talks music here on the show. I talk movies and TV, and I do it from my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, the closet of now my son's nursery. That is where this my my, uh, my recording wing is located, uh, just in the closet of his nursery. So yeah, so that's where I'm sitting talking to you right now, behind all these Harry Potter decorations that we got to line the nursery. We made it look like Hogwarts. If you follow me on Instagram or if you are friends with me on Facebook, you've probably seen you know some of the pictures of it. But either way, I got Hogwarts right outside the door. I got Cincinnati just outside that door, and I'm in here talking to you about movies and TV. So welcome into the show. I told you last time that by the next time we spoke, I'd be a father, and it did happen. Um, I do have a now a, a bouncing baby boy. I'm not sure why they say that, but that's what I've got. So uh, his name is Emerson Wayne, and he's now weighing in at about 10 pounds, born at about 8 and some change, and uh, and doing some damage already. So it's been a lot of fun having him. And uh, it's just it's been a blast for Beth and I. It's been you know very exhausting, especially for her. But uh, I think we're I think we're having a good time. I don't know. I don't want to speak for her, but I know I'm enjoying it. So I apologize because the show's a little bit later than it usually is. Uh, about a week later than it usually is. But I hope you cut me some slack just this once. You know what I'm saying? Usually we're pretty punctual here on the Stream Police podcast. This monthly show that we bring you from uh, the bottom of our hearts. Or the bottoms of our hearts, I guess. We have two of them. All right, so let's get things started. First off, I wanted to tell you what my son's first movie was, because you guys know I'm a big movie nerd. And for years, my mom has told me that my I was named after Clint Eastwood, so that's where I got my name, Clint. My, my dad was a big Eastwood fan. My mom likes him, too. And for years, my mom has told me that the first movie I ever sat through was Pale Rider, which was the... Uh, uh, one of one of Eastwood's later westerns, you know, the kind of creepy one where it's like, is he dead? Is he not dead? Who is this guy? Um, and apparently I sat through that movie, and that was the first one that I ever watched. So that set me well on my way. So Emerson's first movie was one that I had not seen before. It wasn't one 
Um, it, we all watched it for the first time together. At least uh, my wife and I did anyway with him. Um, but my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law were in town staying with us when he first came home. And they were like, you guys have to watch The Greatest Showman. Uh, and they you know, kept talking about how they'd watched it so many times already. And so we decided to watch it and, you know, just to turn on a musical. Why not? And so we watched it and Emerson sat through the whole thing and we didn't even have to stop it once for him, really. So uh, so I think, you know, I think he loved it. Maybe he's going to be a maybe he's going to be a musical fan. I'm not sure. Or maybe at least just a Hugh Jackman fan, at least who couldn't who couldn't be a Hugh Jackman fan. I mean, if he wasn't, then I'd have to question his humanity. So uh, that's that was his first movie, The Greatest Showman. And as far as what I thought, I don't know. It was it was fine. You know, it had some good songs and it. it had basically no plot, but. Uh, it had some fine songs in it, and it, it painted a very like um, Disney version of P.T. Barnum and the kind of guy that he was. So, but you no, know, not a bad movie at all, especially for an original movie musical. I'll tell you, I liked it a lot better than La La Land, that's for sure. But you guys know my thoughts on that if you've been listening to this program for a while. All right, I'm going to give the Stogie a break this week because I don't know if you can tell, but my throat's already a little bit sore. And I'm just going to jump right into the action. And how do we start every episode of the Stream Police Podcast? Well, it was a rhetorical question. We start by giving you my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And for our 31st edition into the canon of greatest TV show theme songs ever, I'm going to do something I've never done before. Let me preface this real quick. So since Beth has been home from maternity leave, she's been catching up on some of the shows that she watches without me. And honestly, she doesn't have that many of them because I'm a hog for television who can't let like any show slide by me without, you know, being me being part of it and me wanting to watch it. So if she's watching a show and like I catch an episode of it and I think it's pretty good, I'm like, hey, let's watch this together. I do that all the time. So I have a bunch of shows that I watch without her that she doesn't really give a shit about. And then she doesn't have that many. So just like I said, because I'm a big hog, so I always have to jump on and watch them. I try not to all the time. But one of the shows that she watches that I don't watch is the one she's been catching up on. And she's been watching a lot of Netflix lately. So can you believe that I've never done a Netflix original series for the greatest TV show theme song of all time? 30 previous choices, never done one on Netflix, one of the biggest TV networks operating today with about a million original shows. I think they phone it in on their theme songs, though, sometimes. I've told you I like the Jessica Jones theme song. Uh, House of Cards had a fine theme song, but, you know, other than that, it's like the theme songs are kind of boring. Daredevil's got a pretty cool theme song, too, but I don't know. So I've never picked one for the great—I mean, we're talking about the greatest theme songs here. They can't just be an okay theme song. But finally, I think Netflix has had one, and Orange is the New Black, which is one of the shows that Beth watches without me and has watched for years without me, has one of the best openers ever, and that's why it's my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time. This week. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you, and you've got time. And you're probably wanting to sing along with it right now if you've ever watched an episode of this show. That song is called You've Got Time, and it was written and performed by Regina Spector, who is like the you know indie darling singer-songwriter. She's been around forever. Uh, she's worked with tons of people. She's done some, uh, did some good work with Ben Folds a few years ago. Um, and, you know, I mean, she's, she's very popular. Regina Spector's definitely a big name if you like, um, it's kind of like indie pop. 
really. So, but anyway, Regina Spector wrote the song and performed it just for this show. So in 2013, Gingy Cohen, who created Weeds and created Orange is the New Black and created Glow, um, asked Spector to record the theme for her new show, which was going to be about a women's prison. So the singer-songwriter agreed, and we were gifted with this powerhouse opening number. Now, if you've never watched Orange is the New Black, the show starts out as this show about a privileged white lady from New York who gets sentenced to do a bid in a minimum security women's prison. The show started in 2013. It's been going on for uh, six seasons already. Another one is on the way. But, you know, it starts out as like this fish-out-of-water story that eventually sprawls and becomes a show that's more about the entire prison itself, including many of its inmates, guards, and the staff members as well. That's one of the things I really like about Orange is the New Black. It has evolved more than a lot of shows do in its time on the air. It hasn't just stayed a show kind of about, you know, which is a pretty good premise. This privileged white lady goes to prison, but it's not, it, It's not you know, federal pound me in the ass prison, as they say in the in office space. It's uh, It's a minimum security deal. So, you know, that gives them a lot more freedom to walk around and, and interact with each other. And it makes the show more interesting overall. It lets you introduce kind of more characters. And not everyone is just like a hardened killer, uh, as is usually the stereotypical portrayal of people in prison. So what we get, though, as this heavy song plays during the opening credits, if you've never watched it, are like close-ups of different women's mugshots, making for this striking way to open a show. Think of all the roads, think of all their crossings, taking steps is easy, standing still is hard. You've Got Time has some of the best lyrics I've ever heard in a song that was written as a TV theme. It's really, I mean, it's fine. I think the song is great if you take it away from the context of the show as well. It's just a good song, period. But it was written for the TV show. The song doesn't specifically describe the plot of the series, but in like an abstract way, it's all about these women who are essentially stuck on pause for however many years. My favorite part of the whole song comes in the bridge, which is the most uplifting sounding part of the song, where Spectre reminds these women to hold on to the people that they know outside, but also to remember that they'll never be the same when it's time to go back outside. Remember all their faces, remember all their voices. Everything is different the second time around. Like I said, when separated from the show, I think You've Got Time works just as well. I mean, if you went to a Regina Spector concert and she played it, you'd obviously know it really well and probably sing along, but I think it just works well on its own. doesn't matter. If you play, play it on the radio, I think it's fine. And that's not something that I've really said about many of these picks for the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. They don't have to work as songs away from the show. It's all about how they work with the show is why I would pick them here. So this one is a little bit more versatile than some of the others. And And how's this for some trivia for you? This song actually earned Regina Spector her first ever Grammy nomination, which really surprised me. I did not know that she had never been nominated for a Grammy, and it took writing a TV theme song to get one. Like I said, I mean, she's not somebody who no one knows. I mean, she's been around for a long time um, with that angelic voice she's got, you know, as a singer-songwriter. She's been around for a while and, and recorded a lot and worked with a lot of people, but never got the Grammy nods until... Uh, 
she wrote a TV theme song. So that's that's incredible. So I guess it would be considered her most well-known song as an artist. And, you know, the show is this massive success. It's one of Netflix's biggest series. Uh, its sixth season is now up, and it's got at least one more coming out. And virtually, you know, no end inside for this show. And I've said it many times before here on the – I don't know about many times. I've said it a few times here on the Stream Police podcast. I think that Orange is the New Black is the best show that Netflix has done, especially in its early years. I think it was better, you know, than House of Cards even uh, as it's as it's gone on. Maybe for the like the first season, first couple seasons, House of Cards was better, but man, that thing fell apart quickly. And Orange is the New Black has only kind of gotten better as the years have gone by, as it's sprawled more, as it's showcased more characters, uh, as it's moved away from just being this show about, you know, fish out of water. It's uh it, it's a really it's it's a cool show it's funny it's dramatic and it's got some you know, important things to say and it's got some really great performances and very memorable characters as well you feel like you really know these women after you've been watching it for several years and i haven't been a loyal viewer i haven't seen every episode of the show um like i have with other shows this is really one that beth watches all the time but uh maybe one of these days i'll go back and catch up all the way through but i've i've certainly paid attention enough to know that I really do like this show and I think it's it's very good. I think Netflix has this I don't know, they kind of sometimes just things feel a little bit slapped together, a little rushed, but this show feels like they have taken their time with it. So, it's definitely a good one. So You've Got Time by Regina Spector from Netflix's Orange is the New Black. That's my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. We'll continue putting uh, TV theme songs into the canon of the greatest. And uh, if you have any suggestions for theme songs that maybe I've missed, ones that you're waiting for me to get to, feel free to write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. T-H-E clintdavis at gmail.com. And speaking of Netflix, um, they just recently put season two of a show I really enjoyed the first time around, and that was Queer Eye, the new reboot of the old Queer Eye for the Straight Guy show. Uh, season two went up on Netflix quickly. I think the I think the first season was a big success. Must have been a you know Netflix doesn't release ratings numbers. They're notoriously secretive about that stuff, and you know I I kind of like them more for it. Uh, they don't make it all about ratings, at least not in in the public eye. They don't, and they don't cancel that many shows. So uh, I, maybe it's it's not all about ratings for them. You know, they're making enough money from every person on earth being a subscriber uh, for them and continually raising rates uh, by like a dollar or so every few years. So I think yeah, they're probably doing fine to create all these programs, even if hardly anyone's watching some of them. But Queer Eye seemed like one that a lot of people did watch. It got a lot of media coverage. And it's probably a cheap show to put together. That's why reality shows became so popular when they did, because, you know, they're cheap to make. You don't have to pay writers and stuff like that. So Queer Eye Season 2 is already out on Netflix. You heard me rave about Season 1 before if you were listening to the show then. Um, And I maintain the same thing here through Season 2. I think that every episode kind of hinges on who the person is that's being helped, what their situation is, what they have coming up. How much do they really need to help? Do they really need it or are they just some lazy person that wants a new wardrobe? And sometimes it feels that way. So it depends on the person who's being helped. And when it's a really good story and when it's a person who really takes it seriously and who really um, listens to what these guys have to say, 
the five guys who come in and help them, the Fab Five as they're called, then you know it can make for some really powerful stuff when it's somebody who really like wants to change their life and they think of this as like almost therapy or I don't know some kind of intervention for picking your life back up and you know it, it, it's not just I'm going to change your wardrobe you know or we're going to cut your hair and now all of a sudden you're going to be physically attractive that's not what the show is about that's the, the the tagline for the show which is a really good tagline is always more than a makeover is what they say and they really do live up to that they do a nice job of actually trying to get to know the person and most of the time it works for me as a, as an audience member sometimes i just don't give a shit if the person is just not interesting if they're not interested if uh i don't think they really needed this so much um then it's not so good but some of the people really take it very seriously and they really need some help. They want to just, it's, it's mostly about improving self-confidence. A lot of times it's a lot of times people who they used to have it maybe, and now they don't need more and they want to get it back. And the guys are, are so happy to help them. I mean, these are the most positive guys that you could ever see. And they are so they're, they're such naturals on television. They did such a great job casting all five of these guys. I mean, I don't think there's a weak link among them. Every single one of them does a great job, and they all have different specialties. So if you haven't watched Queer Eye yet, um, believe me, I am not a, a reality TV guy. I mean, I don't, I don't even consider it a guilty pleasure for me. I don't really watch it at all. I've told you before here on the Stream Police that the only reality shows that I watch, America's Got Talent, uh, because mostly because you know in the summer there's nothing on TV and you do get to see a variety of things and I used to watch it because Stern Howard Stern was on there and I always liked him but he's not on there anymore but it, you know it's just a, a kind of a fun show to watch for an hour a week or 2 hours a week but and queer ride now I'm going to add that to this list because but I don't really watch any other reality TV shows so I'm not a reality TV guy and that's not why I like this show so I think if you don't like those kind of shows you might still give this one a chance it's a very short watch as well I think it's 8 episodes uh for each season if they're not all great. You can skip some. I thought for this uh, second season of Queer Eye, I thought the first episode and the last episode sucked. Uh, just felt very unnecessary to me. Um, just didn't work for me. I don't know why they would start the season with an episode that, I don't know. I just didn't, I, I just wasn't, wasn't feeling it at all. I didn't think it was, I, I didn't think it was, it was the best work that they've done here on the show. The lady, I just didn't really care that much. They helped it. It was a woman on that episode. And you know, that's cool. I don't have any problem with them. Not only helping out straight guys, which was what the original series was about, but now on this version of the series, they are helping women. They're helping gay men as well. Um, they're helping trans people, which they do this season, which that was a very good episode. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, the first episode didn't do it for me, so maybe you'll watch it and, and, and we'll see what you think. It was just a little too sappy, like Hallmark Channel kind of thing uh, for me. But, you know, I think that this season overall was as good as the first season was. No no drop-off in, in quality. Maybe it was even better than the first season because you know the Fab Five a lot better now. You know you know what they... Uh, what what they like to do, what they're into, you you know their personalities better and how they can help someone. And I think the guys are even more confident if they could even be more confident because these are like five of the most confident guys that you'll ever see on TV also. Um, but there are some really, really good episodes. There was an episode of, about a, a guy who works as a, a cook at a bar, or he's a bartender actually, and he's got two kids at home and 
you know, he just kind of looks like a big slob all the time, but he's like a really good dad. And, you know, he wants to impress his wife again with how he looks. And that was a really good episode, really sweet. Um, and the guy really bought into it. There was an episode about a guy who wanted to propose to his girlfriend, but just didn't know how to do it. And so they helped him get that together and they helped him, you know, kind of feel more confident about himself and, and look a little bit better and, and everything. And that was a really strong episode as well. And it just, and there, and like I said, there was another one about a trans man, um, who had just recently had surgery and that was a really strong episode as well. Just, you know, it, hard to not feel things when you're watching this show sometime. And, you know, it's one that'll make you cry sometimes depending on, uh, uh, on who's in the chair, I guess. I have to say I do like them being in Georgia. The whole show is based in Georgia. All the contestants are from Georgia. Um, that you know, that's interesting to me because I get really tired of every show being set in New York or Los Angeles, especially these kind of reality shows. They're always in the really big cities, but this one's not. They go kind of out into the far reaches of you know rural Georgia. Uh, even and if you know anything about Georgia, you know that most of that state is rural. Uh, you know, Atlanta is not. Atlanta's big, but that state's really big uh, overall. There's a lot of geography there, a lot of land to cover, and they've they they've shown how many different kinds of people live in the state of Georgia, and I think that's a really cool thing as well. It's not just been like, well, we're going to help this white hillbilly today, and we're going to help the, that white hillbilly next week. It's not like that at all. So uh, they've done a good job of showing how many different kinds of people live in every place, no matter how public perception may be of that place that it's just one type of person who lives there. So I like them being in Georgia. I give them credit for that. It would be cool to kind of see them move around a little bit, maybe a season in this state, a season in that state, whatever. Uh, but I'm fine with them, you know, sticking in Georgia for now. You know, there's enough people there who, uh, who, who they can help. And I just hope the contestants continue to still be good. I don't know about calling them contestants. That seems weird to me, but either way, Queer Eye season two, is right now on Netflix. I still maintain that I think Tan is the best of all the Fab Five. He's the one who um, just—he's so no nonsense and he's so just brutal sometimes to the people, and he can just cut you down, man, in, in a hurry. But he also is so good at making them see kind of what they look best in, and also giving them like these great tips that they can use and. Uh, making them feel confident about themselves after he's just kind of shit all over their wardrobe. But I like Tan the best. I think he's just got the most attitude, and he just looks cool too. So, uh, but I like them all. They're all they're all great, and they really are what makes the show fire on all cylinders as it does. So, Queer Eye season two right now on Netflix. As I recommended with the first season, give it a watch, man. If you have you know some time and you're not wanting to watch anything too serious uh, for a day, just flip it on and and give it a shot. You guys might make me look better, yeah. but one thing you can't do, you can't fix ugly. Oh, you need to stop saying that. Yeah. Now, on the other side of that token, as far as shows go that uh, are very serious, that are not ones to be taken lightly, Beth and I have started watching a new series. Uh, not It's not a new series, but it's new to us. Um, and that's The Affair from Showtime. We uh, just got into this since she's been on maternity leave. We... I've been checking the DVDs uh, out from the library since we don't have a Showtime subscription. We did like the one month um, preview, but that was a while ago. That was so she could watch Twin Peaks. And so the, the one month ran out. And now we don't have another free trial for Showtime. So that's what's going on there. So, yeah, we've been checking the DVDs out. We're, we're through the first 
season and a half of the show, and I continue to like it more and more as it goes on. I got to say, when the affair first started, I wasn't really that into it. I didn't the first the pilot episode didn't really grab me. I was struggling to follow kind of what they were trying to do, what they were trying to say, what was really going on here. But anyway, let me lay it out for you if you haven't watched it. The Affair is this show that is about essentially four people, really. It's about these two married couples, Dominic West from The Wire, who played Jimmy McNulty. That was one of the reasons I wanted to give this show a shot was because, you know, I'm a huge Wire fan. I love Dominic West, love his work in that series, and I'll, you know, take any chance I can to watch more Dominic West. So he's... uh, essentially the star of the show. He's this married guy who's got five kids, four kids, a lot of kids, uh, four kids. And he's married to Maura Tierney, who you'll remember if you were a fan of Liar Liar back in the day. She played the, um, she played, you know, Jim Carrey's wife in that movie, ex-wife in that movie. So they're married and they have a bunch of kids. um, And they're rich, you know, New Yorkers and they're vacationing in this, uh, in Montauk, in this little you know resort town over the summer, uh, where Maura Tierney's character's dad lives, so they're living there for this summer. And while they're there, there's this couple who live in Montauk, played by Joshua Jackson, of course Charlie from the Mighty Ducks, and Ruth Wilson, who is this British actor that you'll know um, if you ever watched Luther, and she's in some other things as well. But Anyway, this this show ends up really being like a breakout vehicle, I feel like, for Ruth Ruth Wilson because she's so goddamn good in this series. She's incredible. So Ruth Wilson and Joshua Jackson are married. They don't have any kids. They had a son. He died. Whatever. So they're a couple. Dominic West and Maura Tierney are a couple. As you can see from the title of the show, The Affair, it's somebody's going to have an affair. So Dominic West and Ruth Wilson end up sleeping together while they're, you know, out, while him and his family are out on vacation. And everything kind of spirals from there. But there's also this, like, murder mystery going on. And the whole gimmick of the show is that it's each episode is split in half. And each episode is told from the perspective of one of the characters for first half of the episode and another character for the second half. So the whole first season, it's only Dominic West and uh, Ruth Wilson's characters, Noah and Allison. So we'll we'll go back and forth. Like the first half of one episode will be from Noah, second half will be from Allison, and we'll see the same events that they went through together, but we'll see them from their perspective. So the costumes are different. He remembers how she looked a little different. She's always a little sexier in his recollections, whereas she always looks a little bit more like you know, the virgin in her own uh, recollections of what's been going on. They kind of make themselves look better than they are in their own recollections as well. And then, of course, they do things that don't involve each other, and we see kind of what they've been up to. And it really is this, like, mysterious, you know, kind of solid show about intrigue and character development. And it's uh, it's really about the characters, this show is. I, I think they... With this, they have this murder mystery plot that overarches the whole first season, and it's it's going into the second season as well, you know. And that's my least favorite part of the entire series. I don't know. I just to me, it feels very tacked on. It feels like a character show trying to do a plot arc, and that's not what this sh- this show is not a plot show for me. It's not about oh my god, who did it? Who killed him? I don't really give a shit about that. I mean, I care more about kind of where their relationship is going, what's going to happen with their marriages, what's going to happen with their children, and and all that kind of stuff. So 
the show's really well done from a character standpoint. The acting is fantastic. All four of those actors I just listed, they do a great job. We also, you know, have some fantastic supporting characters, including John Doman, who plays Maura Tierney's dad. And he is just, I mean, he's he's amazing every time you see him. He played Rawls in The Wire. So you get some more kind of great scenes between Rawls and McNulty if you were a Wire nerd, uh, which really got me excited the first time that I watched this show. But there's some great supporting actors as well. It's not just these four characters. The kids also, uh, as actors, do a nice job. Sometimes you want to slap them in the face. And I think that's a a testament to how good of a child actor you can be when I want to actually smack a kid in the face because they're so just awful. Um, I think that they're probably doing a good job because they're cute kids. So to make me want to slap you, you really have to be doing a good job of, of acting awful. So I give them a lot of credit for that. Now, the show itself was created by a pair of writers, um, Haggai Levi, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and Sarah Treem. And these two writers worked together on In Treatment, the HBO show. It was kind of like this groundbreaking show a few years ago with Gabriel Byrne uh, that I never saw. I never got into it because it got canceled you know, so fast, so I didn't want to get into it. But the show was really interesting because it aired five nights a week, but it was a drama. And it was about, you know, like five characters who were in treatment with this psychiatrist who was played by Gabriel Byrne. And so like every Monday night, you'd watch a half hour episode of this one patient of his. All right. This one patient of his and him talking Tuesday night, you'd watch, you know, the, the next patient. Wednesday night would be the next patient, and then every week it would repeat. So every Monday night you'd see this one patient. Every Tuesday night you'd see this one patient. So it's like a crazy number of episodes for a show that wasn't on for very long. So just an intense thing that kind of only could have aired back then on, and probably still could have only aired on HBO because of the way the format of the show works. So I think, you know, kind of gimmicky, kind of cool, but that's where these two writers work, Treem and Levi, and then they went on to create this show, The Affair for Showtime. Levi ended up leaving the show pretty quickly. I guess it kind of went some other place that he didn't want it to be. Maybe he's the one who came up with the murder mystery, and we can blame him for that. But anyway, he gave the reins to Sarah Treem. And so Sarah Treem now is the head writer of the show. She's the showrunner. And she, if you notice, writes most of the episodes of the series. And so and it's another one of those shows, like Orange is the New Black, where... It's run and it's created, and in this case co-created, by a woman. And there aren't that many of those shows still out there. So you've got to give a chance to shows like this, and you've got to watch shows like this, I think. Um, you know, It's just important to do it, especially when they're good. I mean, when they're not good, then stay the hell away from them. But this one is good, and it's intense. And if you like, if you liked Big Little Lies on HBO, I think you'll really like The Affair. It's it's was made before Big Little Lies. Um, the Affair right now, its fourth season is airing. The fifth season is going to come out next year, and that's going to be the final season. So it's been on, you know, for... It's been on since 2013, I think. 2014. And it's had some, you know, a lot of critical acclaim. It won uh, the Golden Globe for Best Dramatic Series the first season uh, that it was out. I think Maura Tierney, I want to say, won an Emmy for her work. Ruth Wilson won a Golden Globe, I think, for her work in the show. Can't remember. I might be mixing those awards up, but I know they've been honored for their work in the show, and they're both so good. And Dominic West is really good. Joshua Jackson is really good. 
And it's a tough show, I think, for an actor because you do have to play some of the same scenes multiple times because you're playing it from different people's perspectives. So you got to play the same scene you've already played, and you got to play it in a different way. But it can't be too different, but it's got to be just a little bit different. Maybe you're a little edgier this time, or maybe you're a little nicer this time. Um, and so I think it's interesting work for these actors. They have to love being on a show like this. Um but I will say that since we've gotten into the second season, second season is a little less kind of jarring as far as like repeating scenes than the first season was. First season had so many scenes that were repeated from different perspectives. Second season doesn't have that so much. It's much more linear. It's moving forward much more. And also they introduce uh, more Tierney and Joshua Jackson's characters as ones that we have that we follow their perspective in the show. So it, it expands a little bit in the second season. And I think I've been enjoying the second season more than I did even the first, but it's been a really good show so far. It's been, if you like acting and like I said, if you like the kind of show, like big little lies was, if you like that kind of stuff, um, you know, character intrigue and forbidden romance and a little bit of a murder mystery thing that maybe you'll like, but I just think it's unnecessary. Um, and it's in this setting where like almost everyone in the show is really rich and so that's if you like that kind of thing, you'll probably like it as well. You get some nice scenery there in Montauk and some nice views of New York City. Uh, but yeah, it's just a it's just a very solid show that I think has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. And it's uh, it's airing on Showtime right now. Like I said, fourth season is airing as we speak. And you can check out the first three seasons on uh, DVD. You can also check them out on uh, Showtime's app as well if you want to watch it there. But that's The Affair, starring Dominic West, Ruth Wilson, Joshua Jackson, and Maura Tierney, and it's on Showtime, and I'm really digging it. So I'll keep you updated on what I think about this series. This is complicated for me, Allison. I realize it all seems pretty simple to you, but I try to live my life above board. If I have sex with you, then... If you have sex with me? <laughs> whose, whose hand was in my underwear last week? Well, that's not the same thing. Of course it is. Okay, 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 maybe it is. Maybe... Maybe I'm having second thoughts. Can we just, can we just sit down for a moment? Let me explain to you. No. What do you mean, no? I don't want to be your test case, Noah. So you can prove to yourself just how much you love your wife. I want you. I've made that very clear, and I thought you wanted me to. All right, I'm going to go check on the baby. I'm going to give Mr. Sedlak a few minutes to stretch his legs and talk to you about what's going on in music. His thoughts... Let's hear him from his basement in Dayton, Ohio. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Sedlak. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yes, it is great. Great to be with you. They tell me it's, uh, it's August already, but I'm not sure how that's possible. I hope you all have had... Uh, a lot of fun this summer. You got to, you gotta have fun. Thank you for listening to the Stream Police podcast. My name is Andy Sedlak, the former music editor of OverdueReview.com. I'm sure uh, you all know that story by now. I think we know each other pretty well at this point. And I think that you know that I consider myself a student of music. I listen to a lot of it. I have since I was 11 or 12 years old. It's just sort of automatic, like putting my shoes on. It's just something I do. I listen to a lot of rock. That's a genre I have never gotten over. Yes, I listen to rock, and you know I listen to a lot of rap. Bitch, where you and I was rocking? Now I run the game, got the whole world talking. King Kuta, everybody wanna cut the legs off. When you got the yams, what's the yams? I listen to blues, folk, country, rockabilly, metal, reggae, punk, and funk. But as I've gotten older, and I'm 30 now, mind you, a certain style has really grown on me. And if we're gonna discuss it. We should probably start with its ambassador. The summer wind came blowing in. From across the sea It lingered there To touch your hair And walk with me All summer long We sang a song And then we strolled That golden sand Sweethearts and the summer wind. That's Frank Sinatra and Summer Wind. Let's call this style of music easy listening. Let's call it uh, let's call it easy listening. Even though it's not always easy to listen to. Some of these songs downright brutal. With lyrics not too far removed from blues or country heartbreak ballads. When your lonely heart has learned its lesson You'd be hers if only she would call In the wee small hours of the morning 
Technically, you'd call this music traditional pop, but we're going to differentiate it further by call it easy listening because it's smooth around the edges. The genres I mentioned earlier tend to be a little ragged around the edges. This is this is musically refined, and that's part of the beauty of it. As I get older, there are just more moments where you find yourself in a loosened tie and a collared shirt You're more likely to find yourself engaging in quote-unquote adult conversations. You're just living in an adult world now. That is your reality. You are now a member of that club. And this music feels adult. It's written by adults and performed with a flair for the dramatic, especially for adults. You don't hear it that way when you're 14 or when you're 24. But by the time you get to 30, you'll hear it. Oh boy, do you hear it. You find out that you can embrace the unpredictability of other genres while also embracing the formality of artists like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Nat King Cole. There is room for everyone. Let's start with Old Blue Eyes. I mentioned Frank Sinatra earlier, and I played you Summer Wind. That song actually was relatively late in Sinatra's career. It came out in 1966, but his heyday was in the 1940s when he played with Tommy Dorsey. Frank was a classic teen idol. His recording career almost died out by the early 1950s, but Sinatra reinvented himself as a crooner. And really never waned in popularity after that. That's when he started recording songs like Strangers in the Night, Come Fly With Me, and I've Got You Under My Skin. All of those songs recorded for Capitol Records. Sinatra did not write his own songs. But he was a tremendous interpreter. A tremendous interpreter. Even though he didn't put pen to paper, he sure as shit understood what he was singing. Listen to the way he introduced the song, Angel Eyes, in 1974. And I should like to do one of the finest songs of this type written by Matt Dennis with a glorious arrangement by Nelson Riddle. It's sad, it's poignant. It has to do with a fella whose chick split. She grabbed whatever money was laying around on all the grass. And she left him five gallons of muscatel. And after he grabbed all of that grape for about five or six days, he decided to go out among us. And he walks into a small bistro at about 2.30 in the morning. And I should like all of you to imagine all of us shrunken down into a small bar. When this poor soul comes in, fractured out of his skull, and he's looking for somebody to talk to. He doesn't want any answers. He just wants to talk. And he nearly makes it, but not quite. There's no doubt 
that Sinatra understood the intimacy that came with music. And I think, you know, I think that's what I am picking up on. Although Sinatra was a, a crowd pleaser, first and foremost, there's a tremendous amount of his catalog that is dark. It is dark. It is grim. The refinement of the music itself and his vulnerability in his voice contrast each other perfectly. And it's a dynamic that when I'm in a certain mood, nothing is better. Look at yourself. If you had a sense of humor, you would laugh to beat the band. And look at yourself. Do you still believe the rumor that romance is simply grand? Since you took it right on the chin, you have lost that bright toothpaste grin. My mental state is all a jumble I sit around and sadly mumble Fools rushing, so here I am Very glad to be unhappy I'm also a fan of Sinatra's uh, fellow Rat Packer, Dean Martin, though for a very different reason. I love Martin's cheeky sense of humor. He's a ham, and he knows it. The fact that, that Dean Martin was always in on the joke gave his performance its power. She is coming here to stay. Hey, brother, for the wife. I have waited for the day. Hey, brother, for the wife. She writes of love in every letter. Others have tried, but I will get her. When you see the way she walks. Hey, brother, pour the wine. That's a song called Hey, Brother, Pour the Wine. And the guy in the song, <laughs> I love this song. The guy in the song goes from drinking because he got the girl to drinking because he lost her. It's, it's straight dejection. Blink your eyes and love has passed. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Hers was never meant to last. Hey, brother, pour the wine. She introduced me to another. No, my friends, he's not. I will miss the way she walks. Hey, brother, pour the wine, pour the wine, pour the wine. Again, could be a country song. Replace wine with whiskey, it's a country song. And who, for, who could forget this song? Pure cheese, and it's great. Can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me. Like the fella once said, Ain't that a kick in the head? The room was completely black. I hugged her and she hugged back. Like the sailor said, Quote, Ain't that a hole in a boat? My head keeps spinning. 
I go to sleep and keep grinning If this is just a beginning My life is gonna be beautiful This music, more conservative. There's restraint. It's streamlined. There's not a lot of self-indulgence. It does not push buttons. It does not push boundaries. When you think of progressive genres, you don't think of this one. The place I live in, the street, the house, the room, the pavement of the city, or a garden all in blue. The church, the school, the clubhouse. The million lights I see But especially the people If you go way back in time, uh, performers had these these big, boomy voices. They all did. These just big, boomy voices. And it's because they had to project. This was the case up until the 1930s. Then a little thing happened. That thing was the microphone. All of a sudden, guys didn't have to reach way down into the gut to sing. After the microphone was popularized, performers didn't have to sing as loud. They were unlocked from that style, and they could experiment. They could impart phrasings while singing. Because they didn't have to project so damn far. So now phrasings amount to basically the personality in a vocalist voice. It's the unique way that a vocalist can wrap his or her voice around the lyrics of a song. And the result is something much more intimate. One of the best at this was Bing Crosby. Though your love dreams have gone Make believe, don't let on Smile, though your heart may be broken Bing Crosby was the world's first superstar. I think I can safely say that. He was a popular singer, dancing, and actor. He was your original triple threat. Supposed to be a pretty good guy. In contrast to a lot of the stories you hear about entertainers, he was a pretty responsible human being. Uh, He had a drinking problem for a while. Got over it. (laughs) He was good with his money. He was managed properly. He, He had intelligence like Sinatra. Once he became popular... He would be for the remainder of his life. That's actually pretty rare. Crosby had seven kids. One of my favorite stories about him is that he had a blind trust in his will. And none of his kids 
saw a nickel of their inheritance until they were 65 years old. How long would it take me to be near if you beckon? Oh, and I would figure less than a second. Do you think I'll remember how you looked when you smiled? Only forever. That's putting it mild. I'll take a left turn here. Etta James was not an easy listening singer per se. Well, let me correct that. She wasn't at all. She could be rough. Her music was filled with swagger, torture, sex, mind games, and the rough edges of blues, rock, and jazz. But I always kind of loved it when she dipped into the world of a pure vocalist. When the music smoothed out and she would just sort of let that voice go. At last My love has come along My lonely days are over Etta James was born in 1938, toward the end of the crooner era. But she would have still soaked it up, and and she would have still learned from it. And when you infuse gospel into a crooner's repertoire, it gets powerful real quick. Something told me it was all. I could go on, friends. I could talk about Nat King Cole and how he was blatantly attacked for selling out and recording pop music instead of jazz. And what was he recording at the time that he made those jazz folks go so berserk? It was a song like this one. Unforgettable That's what you are Unforgettable, though near or far. Yeah, I could talk about Tony Bennett, who may be the single authority on the interpretations of 20th century music. His first recording came out in 1951. 
His last was in 2015. He's 92 years old. He is still going strong. This song, this next song was released in 2011 and charted on the Billboard Hot 100. It was his first single in over 30 years. It's called Body and Soul. I can't believe it. It's hard to conceive it. That you turn away romance. Yep, that's Tony Bennett and Body and Soul. I'll leave you with this. Keep digging, guys. There's so much good music out there. Just just keep digging. Now, I think you're all aware that we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. At the end of, uh, let's see, each segment here, I give you five more songs to add to our perfect playlist, which is up on Spotify. Just search Stream Police. You should be able to find us, no problem. So the first of the five songs today, this is 16 Tons by The Platters. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man made out of muscle and blood. A muscle and blood, skin and bone. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You know, 16 tons. And what are you getting? Another day older and deeper and you call me, cause I can go I owe my suit to the company's door I'm learning how to play that uh, song on guitar and that's why I included it. It's just, God, it's it's a grim song. Second, this is Long Distance Runaround by Yes. Cold summer listening Then, Doom and Gloom by the Rolling Stones. song makes me laugh uh from the album screw it it's slipped through the big one by danger danger
finally, I give you Weird Thought Thinker by Josh Headley. I'm a cigarette smoker, a corny joke joker, but I can get mean when my back's on a wall. And I'm a hell of a drinker and a weird thought thinker, and I do things my way or no way at all. I got rambling fever down deep in my bones, from back roads and byways to places unknown. That's it. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. We're going to throw it back to Clint. Behave yourselves, will you? Peace. Thank you very much, Andy. I know he's got to be excited about the fact that... uh, Netflix has announced that it's going to it's teaming up with Bruce Springsteen who was really an idol of both Andy and I. He's one of the guys that we bond over. We've bonded over many times over the years uh, since we've known each other. But Netflix will be producing and airing uh, a concert version of, I think it's going to be Springsteen's final performance on Broadway, or it's at least going to be one of his. So finally, the people who couldn't afford a $10,000 ticket to go see Springsteen on Broadway will be able to watch it on Netflix. And hopefully that really gives a new generation of, you know, people who watch Netflix, which I feel like, you know, it's a lot of younger women and even older women who maybe aren't Springsteen fans, especially the younger women, um, maybe this will like turn them on to Bruce and show, like, show them how awesome he is and how great his songs are and how great a storyteller he is and so i you know i hope it kind of turns on a new generation of bruce fans here netflix can definitely do that it's got the reach it's got the power certainly to do that i wanted to ask you guys a question do you have tv shows now i know you've got movies that you go back to all the time we all have movies like that that we rewatch whenever you know we just want to rewatch something that we've seen a hundred times that for whatever reason we need to feel better or we just want something on that we know like the back of our hands there everyone has movies like that but do you have a tv show that you continue to go back to for some reason i know with with how many shows there are out these days and how many places there are to watch them and how many movies there are out it's hard to justify re-watching tv series but there are like a handful of tv shows that i've rewatched several times and i continue to want to rewatch them to go back it just so happens that a lot of those end up being HBO shows, but the one that I feel like I go back to the most often, and I've gone back to it once again to watch through for what's going to be, I think, my fourth time watching it overall. Yeah, I think so. It's going to be my third in recent years. Um, it's Oz from HBO, the the uh, show about you know Oswald's state penitentiary, the men's prison. Uh, you talk about federal pounding the ass prison. That's what Oz was about uh, versus that white collar minimum uh, security resort kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, Oz, I've been rewatching it again now on the uh, HBO app. 
And I just love this show. I don't know why I continue to go back to it. I'm sure I've probably talked about Oz before here on the series, but that's like my go back to TV show. Why is that? What does that say about me as a human being? It's not fun, really. It's It does have funny stuff, but it's like the darkest comedy you know, that you can possibly have in a TV series. It's a show about a bunch of guys whose lives are basically over. We get to know what they did, why they're here, what their sentence is, how they're getting by in prison, and it's just this massive cast show. And that's one of the things I really like about it. It is It has a huge number of characters. You kind of see them all in certain frames. And like Orange is the New Black, now even though Oz is set in a maximum security prison. So you're talking about the, you know, the hardest criminals of the hard. You know, you're talking about the people on death row and stuff like that are in Oz. It has this kind of great way that it works on TV because the show is set in this wing of the prison called Emerald City that was created by this ultra liberal, you know, like social worker prison worker played by Terry Kenny, who's named Tim McManus. And he's got, I mean, you talk about a guy who has his own demons and his own problems. He's no angel for sure, but he kind of plays himself off as one sometimes. But he opened up this, he convinced someone to fund, you know, with a grant, this wing of the prison called Emerald City, where the guys are kind of free to go in and out of their cells as they want to uh, interact with each other as much as they want to. They can take classes, they can watch TV, they can like kind of live lives in this part of the the prison and he only you know he screens everyone who comes through and only lets certain people into Emerald City and the the rest of the prison everyone is in you know general population gem pop so or death row or you know some of the other wings but so Oz you kind of really you get to know the prison very well it, the prison itself is a character but there are so many characters on the show and so many great actors and I think one of the reasons I really like Oz is because you're seeing all of these really good actors like right before they would end up being on something that would be a huge hit. And Oz was not like an unsuccessful show. It was on for six seasons, I want to say, on HBO. And to me, it's like the granddaddy of HBO dramas. I mean, the Larry Sanders show predates it a little bit as far as you know a critically acclaimed HBO series. But as far as an HBO drama goes, you know, Oz... Uh, started in 1997 it predates the sopranos by 2 years it predates the wire you know by 4 years it predates or 5 years it predates uh, even sex in the city by a little bit i believe it it predates but that's not a drama obviously predates uh, you know 6 feet under so oz was there kind of before any of the other ones was and it was it's a it was a big risk i think for hbo to do a show like this i mean a show that just it's like got all this male nudity in it and it's got these just brutal characters and these terrible things happening and this really weird like beat poetry style where you have a, a essentially a narrator character who's played by Harold Perrineau who was Michael from Lost um he's this guy named Augustus who is in a wheelchair and he's a prisoner uh, at Oz as well and he talks directly to the camera sometimes, like between scenes, and usually he opens episodes. He'll talk directly to the camera, and he'll, you know, kind of like drop knowledge on you throughout the show. In Oz, the guards lock the cages and walk away, and the predators rise, take control, make the rules. But in M-City, the guards are with us 24 hours a day. There's no privacy. Everybody sees what everybody's doing. Eyes are everywhere. McManus' eyes. She in M-City, retribution gives way to redemption. 
Timmy Boy believes he can save every one of us from each other, from ourselves, from the system that dumped us in here. Only thing he don't get is you got to want to be saved. But so it's a really weird style of show is not at all like commercial like there's no way when hbo took this series they thought this is going to be a massive hit people are going to be you know forget about friends and seinfeld people are going to be spending their nights watching oz that wasn't at all what they thought was going to happen they did the show because they thought it was going to be really good critically acclaimed probably win them some awards and they were right and i think it laid the track for what hbo would become when it would become the greatest tv network that we've ever seen uh, in the decade that followed Oz debuting on the air in 1997. It's just an intense show. But like I said, a bunch of great actors. Terry Kenny, who's really more known for his stage work, he does some fantastic work here, has essentially the main character of the show. Edie Falco, right before she went on The Sopranos, does some really good work in the first season of Oz. Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters, he's the warden. He's like, you know, just the ultimate like grumpy asshole in the show, not funny at all. Uh, like I said, Harold Perrineau does some really good work pre-Lost. Dean Winters, the guy who is the mayhem like me guy from the Allstate commercials, really good. Another very you know big character who who kind of spans the entire series, and he's just like the ultimate snake in Oz. J.K. Simmons, uh, before he would win his Oscar, before he would be a big, well-known actor, plays one of the nastiest villains I've ever seen on TV, the neo-Nazi uh, leader of the Aryan gang, Vern Schillinger. And, I mean, he's a guy who will just chill you uh, throughout this series. So it's just it's really exciting to see these actors. And there's so many more. The list goes on and on and on. Every episode you watch of Oz, you'll see somebody who, you know, you're just like, oh, my God. Uh, B.D. Wong does some really good work in it as the, the priest of the prison. Uh, Rita Moreno also, you know, another Oscar winner there. She does some really good work as well as a nun who helps with drug counseling in the prison. So it's just a really great cast and such a sprawling show. And, you know, I think Orange is the New Black definitely took some cues of how to do a prison show from Oz because it was such a sprawling show. Um, and it the Oz gets into the lives of the the guards as well. They call them the hacks on the show. And it gets into the staffers lives um, who run the prison. It's not just about the prisoners and uh, you know, kind of how they're getting through their time. It's about much more than that. It gets into the politics of everything. The governor shows up. So Oz was really cool. And I think Oz kind of really did lay the track for a show like the wire to come out and be this show. That's about institutions and not so much just about people, but it's about institutions and the failed institutions that we live with, uh, to this day, and prisons are certainly one of the biggest failures, I think, that we have, you know, in the United States, the way that we run them. And, and Oz gets into a lot of that. I think it's way ahead of its time and just a cool show, man. I just I, I love this show. And if you never gave Oz a chance, but you love serious TV dramas and you kind of want to see, you know, TV history being made. And you want to know that not that TV didn't just get good in the 2000s, and it wasn't like just Mad Men and Breaking Bad and Sopranos. Like, TV was really good before that, and a show like Oz shows you that it was. The The series was created by Tom Fontana, who had previously created NBC's Homicide Life on the Street, which was another just really groundbreaking show, one that I have not gotten into but have always wanted to find somewhere and watch. Um, but everyone always says, you know, Homicide Life on the Street kind of led to The Wire as well. And I think that Oz is a lot that way also. So Tom Fontana is this guy who he's won like three Peabody Awards just himself. 
and he doesn't really do much anymore. But uh, but Oz was, you know, I think probably you know his masterwork and just a really just a powerhouse show. And I love to go back and watch this series and uh, be surprised by its big moments all over again and how it treats some of its characters and how some people are redeemed and others never are and others never seek redemption um so they will never find it and it, it's just it's got a lot to say man it's just a a cool show is it a little exhausting at times sure uh it's not an easy laid back watch but i really like oz i, I love to keep going back to it so i don't know what that says about me but i wonder what your go-to tv show is what do you keep going back to especially if it's a drama you know, I think everyone, we all have the sitcoms we go back to. I go back and watch Seinfeld a lot whenever it's on. Um, I always watch The Simpsons, you know, whenever I have have a chance. But Oz is like a drama that I keep going back to watch. So do you have a drama like that, an hour-long show that you'd like to go back and you've watched several times and you're watching over again, um, you know, multiple, multiple times? So uh, let me know at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Do you have one like that and why? Why do you think you go back to that show. I don't know. For me, it just happens to be Oz. Like Lanklin, those guys, they're going to kill me. You know, I don't blame them. Still not sure Rat and Uncle was the right thing to do. I mean, those people are dead. This trial won't bring them back. Meanwhile, I'm in some deep shit. We'll take care of you. <laughs> okay before i send you on your way and go change a diaper or two i want to leave you with uh, some movies now streaming on netflix and amazon and I, i always do this at the end of every episode of the show but i'm going to change up how i do it now i'm going to give you something because i know not everyone wants to watch a drama and usually i end up giving you a drama but I'm going to give you something funny and something serious, both from Netflix and from Amazon. So whatever, if you're into you know comedies or dramas, whatever, watch one or both of these movies on Netflix or Amazon. First off on Netflix, something funny from 1994, it's Clerks. Also, a very groundbreaking indie movie that Kevin Smith kind of funded himself, and he was editing it. You know, in with rented equipment that he had borrowed, he borrowed the camera equipment. Um, you know, he just rented it for a few days and shot the entire movie. Nobody really knew how to act. Um, and it's just this movie kind of about slackers who are like 20-somethings who work these kind of going-nowhere jobs. And it's this black-and-white gem of a just a classic comedy from 1994. So Clerks, one of the ultimate 90s movies right now, is on Netflix for you to watch. Um, also on Netflix, something serious. If you want something dramatic you got to check out No Country for Old Men from 2007. Uh, it won the Best Picture Oscar that year. 2007 was a stiff, stiff year as far as movies go. I consider it one of the great years uh, that's ever been for movies. And No Country for Old Men ended up, ended up coming out and winning Best Picture. It, certainly one of the best Coen Brothers movies. It's got one of the great endings in recent memory. It's got uh, so many surprises in it. I think what they do with Josh Brolin's character still surprises me and shocks me to this day. This movie's got balls, and it's just got a lot of really good performances. Kelly McDonald, how can you not love her? Uh, Javier Bardem won an Oscar for his performance in it, one of the great movie villains that we've seen in recent years. So just a cool movie if you never watched it and you like uh, 
you know, crime and intrigue and you like noir, you got to give No Country for Old Men a shot. It's uh, right now on Netflix. Meanwhile, on Amazon, something funny for you, uh, Howard Stern's Private Parts from 1997. Uh, the Private Parts movie is the movie version of the book that Stern wrote, his first autobiography. And in a weird twist, Stern plays himself in the movie, and he does a really good job in it. He's actually very, I mean, you know, he's playing himself, so it's not like he's got to go out on a limb or anything. I'm not going to say it's Oscar-worthy as far as a performance goes, but he's he does a really good job in it. And uh, Ivan Reitman directed it, you know, one of the great comedy directors of uh, in, in history. And it's just a really cool movie about someone's life and about the radio business. There haven't, I don't think there's been a better movie about the radio business than Private Parts. So that's uh, on uh, Amazon right now if you're looking for something funny to watch. And if you're a Stern fan at all, you've probably already seen it. But if you you know, are interested in broadcasting in the radio business or, or whatever, just give it a watch. It's just a cool, it's a cool movie. It's funny. And it'll give you a little bit more insight into the man and something serious for you on Amazon. 2009's Watchmen is there for you. One of the most ballsy comic book movies that's been made in recent years. And everyone said that Watchmen could not be made into a movie. It's one of the great graphic novels ever written. One of my favorite books, period, regardless of genre. And, you know, they made it into a movie, and it it still holds up to this day. I still really like the Watchmen movie. It's got some awkward sex scenes with Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah playing. But other than that, I really dig this movie. I think the opening 15 minutes of it, if they don't hook you, then you're not going to like this thing. But the, the opening is so fucking powerhouse of this movie. And when it kicks into Bob Dylan's The Times Are Changing, um, just a really cool opening to a movie. So... Watchmen from 2009. If you got three hours to spare, and if you like superhero movies, give it a watch. It's on Amazon now. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you very much for uh, spending some time with us again today, my friend. Reach me anytime at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can reach my co-host, Andy Sedlak, at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. Next time on the program, I'm hoping to talk a little bit about Hannah Gadsby's Nanette which has gotten a lot of buzz on the internet. I did watch it, and I'm going to give you my thoughts. i got to say, I haven't seen too many things like like this, and I've got some thoughts on it. So that's going to be coming next time. And, uh, yeah, whatever else we can dig up here on the Stream Police Podcast. Until then, stream on, my friend. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.